They are not officially on furlough. That's right. Um, yeah. You can explain that if you would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, uh, he, he loves to share with churches what God is doing yeah. in their ministry. Uh, so, Brian, before we turn the mic over to you, how can we be praying for you and your family? Yeah, thanks. Um, I can think of two things to be praying that are kind of more big picture that I won't have much time to mention in a bit. Um, Number one, in these last days of harvest, God is really using the internet as well as other, you know, more traditional media like satellite TV and radio. But, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of guys uh, late, late, late in the evening, you know, Turks and foreigners that are setting up websites, that are setting up ways for people to respond. They're making videos with their friends, putting them on their websites. And so the Lord is really using the Internet and uh, people in the privacy of their homes nowadays where it's safe, where, you know, they, less chance they're, they can, they're, they're going to get in trouble. They can really investigate truth. So pray for these, you know, Turks and foreigners who are... Um, building websites and and making contacts with seekers through that means and so technology would be the first one it's amazing what the lord's doing there and secondly we uh um are in need of 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 partners of teammates uh as uh we'll just share in a little bit we have a lot going on the lord has really given us a fruitful season of ministry and uh long term we need some families who are uh able to you know move over to turkey learn the language and be in you know be on the ground for the long haul. And uh, so this is about a, a year. This prayer is we've had for about a year. And um, we have, haven't had too many nibbles yet. So just pray that the Lord raise up harvesters uh, for turkey. All right, let's pray for Brian. And then we'll turn it over to him. Great. Our Father, we thank you for Brian and Dana and their commitment to follow your calling in their life. Uh, to take the gospel to the Turkish people. We thank you, Lord, that the harvest is plentiful. We know that the workers are few, though. And, and as we see this plentiful harvest and all you're doing there, Lord, I pray that you will raise up more men and women who can go over there, who are willing to respond to your call and take the gospel to people who not only have a desperate need, but also have a, a significant desire for truth and for Christ. And, Lord, uh, we thank you for the work that you have been doing there already. Uh, we thank you for uh, the way that, that technology is able to be used redemptively that we hear a lot of negative things about the Internet, and to be sure there are a lot of things on the Internet that are certainly not healthy in any way, shape, or form. But we thank you, Lord, that you have worked, and you are working, and you will work through this means as well. And we pray that you will continue to bear great fruit as people come across the the evangelistic websites that point them to uh, biblical truth and point them to Jesus, that they will have soft hearts, that they will want to respond and that you will give Brian and the others who are partnering with him over there the, the, the grace to be able to point them to Christ. And, Lord, we know that we can plant seeds, we can water them, but you make them grow. And we thank you that you are making many seeds grow there in Turkey. Turkey and we pray that this will continue more and more and more for your glory. We lift Brian and his family up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks again for having us having us here this uh, morning. Um, yeah, the context for why we're, why we're here is our son. Our son was uh, born in Turkey, uh, raised in Turkey, graduated from high school in Turkey, and now he's finally going off to college. So he will be starting at Moody in, uh, in just a, a few weeks from now. 
And uh, so we came back just to kind of launch him, you know, help him get a summer job and, uh, and get some extra training as well and do a little bit of recruiting. So that's kind of the context why we're here. But we just, we just, you know, saw God's hand in such an obvious way. We're very eager to take a few opportunities to share uh, with um, people who are praying for us and love us, share what God's doing, and hopefully that will be an encouragement to you. So we're going to do that. We're going to show a five-minute video, and then I'm going to tell as many stories as they'll let me before they yank me off the stage. And, uh, but uh, before all that, I just want to once again just visit God's Word and, and put what we're doing in context, scriptural context. Why is it that we take the gospel uh, to the nations? And so to do that this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes in Psalm 45. So if you'd like to turn with me to Psalm 45, uh, I'm going to read uh, uh, the first 12 verses there. And uh, if, you would, if you'd like a title, I, I suppose I'd, uh, I'd title this small uh, devotional, uh, The King, His Bride, and World Missions. And as you turn to Psalm, uh, Psalm 45, I'll make this introductory uh, remark. At various times in the Old Testament, there were men who understood that their ministries or their offices or even their families, their, their, their very lives, uh, were pictures or were pointers of something that God would do far greater in the future. So somehow their lives, their ministries, were just pointers to something that God would do greater, more... Uh, um, just to his glory sometime in the future. And so uh, that's no different when we turn to Psalm 45. In Psalm 45, we have poetic verse about a real historic king, a real historic bride, and a real historic wedding. But very quickly, the, um, the glory of this king far surpasses that of any earthly king, that there's never been any doubt that this, uh, at the same time, is a messianic uh, psalm. And so this, so the words of Psalm 45 would be embellished as we would apply them to any earthly king, but perfect as we apply them to the king of kings. And uh, so as we read these first uh, 12 verses, we're going to read about a king who would one day have a glorious um, kingdom and a glorious wedding and a glorious uh, bride. So let me start. I want to be, uh, begin. I'm going to, in fact, read the uh, prescript uh, to Psalm 45 as I begin. For the director of music, to the tune of lilies, of the sons of Korah, a maskil, a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been adorn- anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. And so in these opening verses, we're introduced to this king. We're introduced to his excellencies. More, uh, perhaps particularly, we're introduced to the grace that seems to drip off his lips with every word he ever speaks. And we're introduced to his lasting and permanent favor that he enjoys with his God. And now beginning in verses 3 and through verse 5, this king, as it were, mounts his white horse. He rides off into battle as a conqueror, sure to be, a vic- sure to be victorious. Verse 3, Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness. Let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Here we have the Lion of Judah uh, 
enjoying victory and establishing a reign of righteousness. You know, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, most often we read of Jesus as the Lamb of God, Jesus chapter 1. But when we finally make our way to Revelation, we see Jesus chapter 2, end of story, don't we? Jesus in all his glory, the King of Judah. That's the Jesus who appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. And here is a picture of, of our, the, a future reigning Jesus who comes to establish right, righteousness. And now with no more mention of any, any enemy, uh, his, his father comes and gives him a throne. Let's read that beginning in verse 6. Your throne, O God, and I want to remind us that the psalmist in addressing the king now says, Your throne, O God will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And so we learn that this righteousness-loving, justice-establishing king is God himself existing in a trinity. And now, verse 8, he uh, makes his way towards the wedding banquet. We have in the wedding procession. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. And so this king makes his way to the wedding banquet, and he's accompanied by fragrance, and he's accompanied by perfumes. He's accompanied by stringed instruments. And, of course, most importantly, he's accompanied by his bride. And the highest-ranking princesses of the land, all of these, of course, uh, symbolically representing the Messiah's bride. And the wedding is, beginning, is, is ready to take place. And now in verses uh, 10 through 12, the psalmist turns his attention to the bride herself. And in my mind, I imagine she's just about to step down the aisle to be married. And, and, and he says to her in verse uh, 10, Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. In these last moments before you get married, lean in and cup your ear now and listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. And the psalmist gives the bride a twofold charge and then that will be followed by a consequence. What will happen as she fulfills that charge? Here's charge number one. Forget your people and your father's house. The psalmist says, Bride, forget the race of Adam because the second Adam has come for you. Forget the man of dust because the man of, of heaven is here and he's enthralled by your beauty. Forget the man who's enslaved in, his, in, in the flesh and in darkness and, and in judgment and in his sin because the man of righteousness has come for you and he's ready uh, to marry you. You know, that reminds me of uh, uh, Romans chapter 12 where God's word says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of of this world. No longer from this point forward, Christian, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Forget your father's household. And I think about what that means to apply that. You know, I think about how easily we can go along with our culture and we can be addicted to comfort, can't we? Even as followers of Christ, addicted to comfort, leisure, entertainment, some of these other values that are in our culture, approval, Inclusion, social status, safety, security. And the psalmist says to the bride, forget your former people 
and your former household and the values that were connected to that home because your king has called you beautiful and the wedding is ready. And number two, the second charge, starting, we find that in verse 11. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him for he is your Lord. Charge number two, honor him. Worship him. Bow down before him. Adore him. Adore his words and adore his character and adore his ways and adore his victories and adore his uh, reign until you begin to smell like he smells and you begin to talk like he talks until there's not even a lingering desire anymore for you to go back to your former household. And when people look at you, they begin to be reminded of your king. And the consequence, verse 12, the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The psalmist is speaking to the bride, and he says, the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. Tyre, it's a Gentile nation. It's a Gentile city. The people of Tyre, the Gentiles, people who don't own the good book of the good king will now come to you. And people who were formerly very proud and, and not listeners will hush their voices because God has begun to change their appetites as through you they've gotten to know the king. And, they, and, and God has begun to change their, their, their eyes to see different things and even their, their, the smells. To some, you'll still be the smell of death, but to others, you'll begin to be the aroma of life and people will begin to come to you. And, of course, this is what God's uh, children have been doing for 2,000 years uh, since the death and resurrection of Christ, taking this message of a king who gave his life for them and who's reigning and living, and, and taking this gospel message, being faithful to, to shine for him, to worship him, to speak of him, and God is slowly opening up the, do- the eyes of people who were once proud and bringing them to faith. And so let's swing over to Turkey and, uh, and talk about how God's doing that in a, in a country that many of us, you know, kind of regionally we might wrinkle our nose up at uh, because there's a whole lot of gut-wrenching things going on there. But God is drawing sinners to faith uh, in his son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So let's start with this video and then we'll t- share some stories. <clears throat> Two things that I hope to uh, uh, make evident in the video <clears throat> is that the, the church in Turkey is small, uh, but it's growing uh, very rapidly right now. Uh, so let me just kind of give, give some statistics just to kind of um, illustrate that. Uh, Turkey is a large country, uh, 78 million people, about a quarter of the population in the United States, about the size of Texas landmass-wise, 78 million people. The Turkish po- the believers are about 4,500. So you can imagine, 78 million, 4,500. Very small. Uh, Percentage-wise, that would be six one-thousandths of one percent of the population. So very small. But the good news is the uh, Turkish church does not act its size and does not act its age. (laughs) Uh, The church is growing rapidly. You know, probably best to illustrate that, just share from our uh, 19 years of being in Turkey. The first church plant that we we were a part of, it took about 10 years before we had a body of believers, uh, people had come to faith, had understood what it meant to be fishers of men themselves, to be discipling those who came to faith. And then, in fact, we even saw uh, uh, leadership installed. So it took about 10 years to do that. Our next church plant, we got to basically the same amount of fruit in three years. 
Can you imagine that? About a third of the time to get pretty much the same, uh, same level. Uh, and then you know that last summer we went to start our, our third church planting ministry. And in just nine months, uh, would you believe we saw 11, and you saw many other faces there, 11 people come to faith. So that those who were coming to faith were outpacing the number of months that we were there. And uh, so the church is just rapidly growing. You know, if you were to ask, why is that the case? Why is it, why is, uh, what are, what's changing in Turkey that makes that the case? I think I would say two things. Number one, uh, you know, Turkey is just in a situation like many, perhaps many other places in the Middle East, like Iran for one, where there are people that are looking around and they are honestly beginning to say, uh, the fruit of Islam is rotten. And they're looking in their, in, their, in their own hearts, and they're looking in their homes, they're looking among their relatives, they're looking in their neighborhoods where they work, and their, and their country, and geographically where they're located, and they're saying, the, the fruit is rotten. And not only that, but praise God, a few are being able to take a step of faith and say, if the fruit is rotten, maybe there's something wrong with the tree. And though that kind of a, a new thought is happening more and more. And God, of course, is coupling that with uh, the Internet, which is just now pervasive in all of the Middle East. Probably in Turkey, my guess would be 90% of homes have access to have the Internet. And uh, so, you know, people in the quiet of their homes late at night are going on websites they've never been on before to research and investigate truth. And what, how that affects us is that people can write, can, on those websites, can write in for free New Testaments, for free DVDs, for other you know, Christian material. We, we get their contact information that way, send them the stuff we've invited them to order, and then uh, contact them and invite them to get together face-to-face. Would you believe in the 24 hours that it took me to fly from Turkey to Sheboygan, 24 hours, five more people wrote into our, cor- our, our websites that are out there. So it's very, very fruitful. And uh, let's go to the slides and talk a little bit about some other statistics related to that. Oh, I have the thing, don't I? I think we, already, we talked about that. Uh, so in, in nine months, we saw nine, 350 people uh, ride into the course. Uh, that averaged out to about 40 people a month, which obviously 40 people a month is more than one a day riding into the course. Uh, from that, we were able to get together with, uh, and, th- and our whole goal is to be able to get together with people face-to-face because, you know, in that face-to-face context, we can start right at the story of Adam and Eve. And show, show them how God had created this perfect world where at the end of creation he surveyed it all and without exception, exception he said, it is very good, all of it. Such that Adam and Eve were naked and they knew no shame and there was no fear and no sense of, of guilt, no sense of, of being unclean or dirty because of what I've done. And God gave, him, gave Adam instructions, and one of those was to, to trust him and to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, of course, what happened? Adam attempted to live his life independent of God's goodness, and he ate from the tree, and sin and death came into his life. And so we're teaching our new friends, you know, these truths, setting a foundation for who we are as sinners. And, you know, God could have put his hands on his hips, could have said, I'm done with you, I gave you instructions, and now I want nothing to do with you for the rest of eternity. And nobody could have, uh, you know, uh, shaken an accusatory finger at God. But, you know, even there, right in Genesis, right in the Garden of Eden, God began to make a promise about how he was going to save Adam and Eve and all sinners after them promises about how he was going to save them through a seed of the woman. 
and how it was going to be someone who might give his life as a ransom. Such that years later, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus said, that's right, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And so we have this opportunity face-to-face with people to share the this, this sweep of biblical history and uh, begin to help people understand. And so praise God that took place in about nine, nine different cities uh, because we're you know, going to cities of over 100,000 where there are no other workers, on the, no other missionaries on the ground teaching God's word, proclaiming the death and res- resurrection of Christ. So we're very happy to go there in the meantime. And uh, as I mentioned, nine people came to faith uh, through the internet, and then through those people doing their friendship evangelism, we saw nine, uh, 11 more people come to faith. Another thing that was exciting was that through the internet, we discovered, we discovered three people who were already followers of Christ, had always proclaimed uh, and, and embraced his gift of salvation, were following him, but had nobody doing discipleship, nobody doing, uh, you know, um, encouraging them. So we thought, absolutely, that's where God's working. That's where we want to be. And we started going to those cities uh, as well. And as you saw, eight, uh, eight uh, baptisms from that. Um, and again, there are those cities that we're located in. Um, right now, we don't have, uh, as it were, you know, American uh, teammates, uh, but praise God, uh, we do have um, Kerem and Joy. Kerem came to know the Lord three years ago through this exact process that I've tried to describe, making contact through the internet, wanting a copy of God's word, meeting, uh, meeting us, coming to our fellowship, and coming to faith. You know, one of the things that Kerem, right away, he just was absolutely bent on being obedient, bent on learning God's word, and it was really ex- exciting to disciple him. And eventually, he said, you know, I want to marry a believer, but not just any old believer. I want to marry an obedient believer. That was his prayer request. That was his public prayer request. And so we prayed, yeah, Lord, give Kedem an obedient partner for life. And so God uh, introduced uh, Kedem to Joy, an American missionary. She's actually from Florida. And uh, so they're still newlyweds. They haven't been married a year yet and uh, excited to uh, be in ministry with them. So I want to just share a few stories about people that have come to faith. And probably my favorite place to tell stories from is Polatla. Now, uh, the reason I think I like is Polatla is Hicksville, Turkey. Now, I know that you might have a hard time, you know, imagining Turkish culture, much less Hicksville, Turkey. So it might, you know, I'm kind of stretching you to, to think, uh, you know, how, what that might mean. But uh, absolutely, uh, Polatla is in that category. And, and here we are, you know, meeting on the floor. That's just the way we like to do things in Polatla. And uh, the, the, ch- the church uh, got started through um, Mete and um, Fahri uh, coming to faith. Um, and, and, and I'll just never uh, forget how they came to faith. M- many of you, most of you here, when you understood what Christ had personally done for you, you prayed once in one language, you know, to, give your, to, to embrace this gift of salvation. Well, these two guys prayed three times in three languages. <clears throat> and here's how that happened. So there's my teammate on the left, um, Kerem. And these two guys, they had been studying God's word. They had been talking together. They had been talking with us. They had been following along. And they were ready to embrace Christ together in this public context. So I said, okay, Mete, why don't you pray and just communicate your heart's decision to the Lord. And then, Fahri, it'll be your turn. And uh, so uh, we bowed our heads. And Mete didn't say anything. And I waited until there was this uncomfortably long you know, silence. And so I broke in. I said, Mete, what's the problem? And he said, I don't know what to say, right? It's his first public prayer ever, ever, ever and he's nervous. And he just didn't know what to say. So I said, okay, well, plan B, Kerem, why don't you pray a prayer? And, and, and Mete, you can just repeat his words, right? 
Uh, and many of you have done that here in, in the States. And well, this was Kedem's first time ever doing that. So Mete had agreed to it and they began praying. And, Me- and Kedem's first prayer was about as long as the Declaration of Independence. This, his first sentence, I mean, right? So Mete slaughters this first sentence, right? He, he couldn't memorize hardly or, or repeat back hardly any of it. And Kedem didn't kind of get a clue what he had done. So his second sentence was as long as his first sentence. And it went terrible, right? So they get to the end of his prayer. It's been terrible. And they're kind of comparing notes about how bad it went, right? So they're off doing that. And Fahri then, I was sitting right next to him, and just right in a context just like this. Fahri turns to me, and he says, well, I know English, so why don't you pray in English, and I'll just repeat after you, but keep your sentences short. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. So we did that here by ourselves, and at the end of his prayer, he said, wow, that was amazing. Could, could I do that in Kurdish? And because these, are Kurd, these guys are Kurds and they know Kurdish. And I said, sure, you could do that in Kurdish. So just about now, Mete now hears that Fahri is going to receive the Lord in Kurdish. So he says, well, you pray, keep your sentences short, and I'll repeat after you. So now for the third time in the third language, these guys came to faith in the Lord. And uh, so it's just a very memorable moment. And it wasn't too long after that that we began to introduce worship songs, right? And you need to understand that when we're planting a church where it's never existed before, where everybody's first generation, they have no expectations what it means to do church, which can be very sobering because what we teach them is what they will pass on. And in fact, sometimes they can mimic things that we never intended to get passed on, even including our hand gestures. So here's how that took place. Uh, So I was teaching them this uh, worship song. And, and eventually they got the tune, they got the words, you know, and here we are, we're in a place where the gospel has never gone before, and it's getting a foothold, and I'm just excited about it, and we're singing all together. And, and I started keeping the beat with my fist, you know, because I'm just so excited. And I open my eyes, and these guys are mimicking what I've just started doing, right? And they're like, so imagine, you know, can imagine a hundred years later, here's all of the city, right? This is what you do because this is Christian. It's in the Bible, right? Uh, um, so I just never forget, you know, how, how sobering it is that even our hand gestures get, could get passed on to this first generation uh, church. Well, the day came, the day came when uh, Mete, he's in the white there, his dad said, his, his dad said, oh, how embarrassing, how shameful that you are um, having these guests over to your home and you're making them sit on the floor. Uh, you need to go out and buy, um, um, you know, furniture and, uh, and, and you know, and, and be more hospitable to our guests. And so sure enough, there is his couch that he went out to buy and guess where we are still sitting. <laughs> In fact, we got two couches and look uh, where we're still sitting. So... Uh, that's just their culture. That's what they do. They like the floor better than the couches. Glorified backrests is all they are. Uh, you know, those two guys that I mentioned, let me go forward one more picture. So the guy on the, guy on the right and the left, that's the way the church started. These two guys, nobody had to tell them. They began meeting in Fahri's blue two-door car nearly every night to begin reading God's word together. You know, they had discovered a treasure in Christ, and they're like, well, what else is there to discover? Let's meet together. And, uh, and they rigged up a, a way to brew tea and drink tea in the middle, you know, in their car while they're studying God's Word. And really, literally, e- you know, every other night, they would call me with a question. 
and, 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 and what a privilege to be able to kind of, you know, help them as they're reading God's Word. In fact, just last week, I called, I called these guys. I called Fahri, and guess where he was? In the, two, in the blue two-door car with his buddy, Mete, reading God's Word. And Fahri said to me, he said, Brian, you know, I got this idea. I want to bounce it off, to you. I, I, I bounce it off of you. I'm not sure, sure if it's a good idea. What do you think? You know, it's just kind of a brainstorm I have. You know that I know English, and I was thinking about forming a conversation club for other people who want to learn English, and I would use the parables of Jesus as like the springboard for our conversations. Now, I'm not so sure if that's a good idea. You know, what do you think? I was like, absolutely, that's a great idea. You know, so you see these guys just being creative for the Lord. Obviously, all of us uh, fill our 24 hours before we come to faith, but, but taking a portion of that time and wanting to be creative for God's kingdom and investing in other people uh, coming to faith. So it's just been a delight to watch what the Lord's doing there. And then they eventually brought the guy in the middle. The guy in the middle's name is Tunch. Um, and they warned me about Tunch. They said, now, Tunch, we don't think he's really interested in the gospel, but we want to bring him along. So Tunch came, and uh, Tunch said, uh, before we got started, he said, now, I just want you to know, uh, I'm an atheist, uh, I'm a Marxist, uh, religion is the opium of the people, uh, but my, is- my, my enemy is Islam, and your enemy is Islam, so I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> so, so I said, well, Tunch, uh, two things that I want to make very clear. Number one, my enemy is not Islam. My enemy is sin. Uh, but number two, I'm very happy you're here, so welcome. Let's get started. So by the end of the night, I gave him a, a Bible. And uh, one of the things you need to know is that Tunch, uh, is a, he has two university degrees. He, he, he reads. He's a, he's a good reader. And so, uh, but to my shame, because of how that first evening had gone, to my shame, you know what I did? I scratched his name off my prayer list. To my shame, I say, I scratched it off. Because just seven days later, these two guys called me, and they said, Brian, you would not believe what the Lord's doing in Tunch's heart. He's like 180 degree difference, uh, you know, and, and his thinking has just changed. And sure enough, he came to our Bible study and he was absolutely engaged and listening very carefully to what we were teaching. And then it came time we were going to pray. And he said, I want to pray. I want to pray with you. But before I do that, I want to give a word of explanation. And almost apologetically, he said, you know, the only God I knew was the God of Islam. So what other choice did I have but to be an atheist? You've got to understand, I had no other option. He was like apologetic. And then in his prayer, he said, and in these other two guys, I don't know that they have high school diplomas. And he, in his prayer, humbly, he thanked the Lord. He said, Lord, you use these two guys to introduce to me, me to truth. And this book is light. This book is truth. And I pray that this book would just be announced all over our city and people would come to faith. And a week later, he himself came to faith in Christ. And so uh, Tunch now has been added to their number. And in fact, if you're on my email list, then you know from yesterday that Tunch, about a month ago, began bringing two guys uh, to the Bible study. And just yesterday, I got word that those two guys that Tunch began to bring to the Bible study, they both came to faith in Christ uh, uh, this week. So the gospel is absolutely... uh, going forward in, in the city of Palatla. Let me just share uh, about two other cities quickly. Uh, I love going to Katabuk. I go to Katabuk about, about every three weeks. And uh, let me tell you how the church got started there. Uh, the, the lady in the middle, in, on, the, on the left, her name is Fatma. Fatma, her, her son came to faith. Uh, and she, you know, had this season that she was antagonistic towards her own son, you know, opposed to that. But eventually the Lord began to open up her heart. She had a rotten background, uh, you know, violence in her marriage. In fact, she, had, she was pregnant with twins and lost the twins because of that kind of that violent situation she was in. And so she's dirt poor now. She's all on her own. She lives in a retirement home. But in that process, she's come to know the Lord Jesus. 
And even though she lives in a retirement home and she's all by herself, she's the most wealthy person in that city, spiritually speaking. You would love to, to spend time talking to Fatma on the phone. And she thought she was the only believer in the city. Well, Tolga, who's another university student, he came to the city as a believer, and he thought he was the only believer uh, as well. And here's how God allowed these two uh, followers of Christ to meet each other. Tolga was sharing the gospel with a, a female university student, one of his friends, sharing gospel as the Lord had, gave opportunity. Well, that girl one day was in Istanbul, got on a bus, and was returning to, to this city. And uh, guess who the Lord put right next to her for that five-hour bus trip? Fatma. And Fatma opened up God's word and began sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what this lady said, the girl? She said, oh, I know somebody who believes just like you do. In fact, I'll call him right now. So she's on the bus. She calls Tolga, and that's how these two met each other. Can you imagine the, the, the statistical chances of that happening? This is a city of 110,000 people, and as far as we know, the only two believers, and they're sharing the gospel with the same person who introduces them to each other. So uh, Tolga, just an amazing heart for God, Tolga for a year and a half went to Fatma's retirement home to read God's word, you know, kind of just small Bible studies and prayer and encourage it. And of course, they began praying for God to continue to work in the city. And uh, how I, uh, this is Muammer, by the way, pastor talked about him uh, before um, I started. Uh, This is Muammer. His oldest son now uh, was in university and he got sent to this city that I'm talking about right now. And so Muammar said, Brian, you know, we don't know of any believers in this city. You're three hours away. Could you just go once a month and just look in on him and do Bible study? And I was like, absolutely. I would be privileged to do that. So I made my plans and kind of word started getting out that, you know, I was going there. And kind of one by one, we started learning about the fact that there was already Tolga and Fatma in the city. And so eventually Hasred John, who's the son of Muammar, uh, met Tolga. And they've been shoulder to shoulder uh, ever since in the city. Um, and it's not been easy. They were, eventually, they were kicked out of Fatma's retirement home because the, you know, the authorities learned what they were doing and, and, and said, this, that's not welcome here. You can't do Bible studies. Then they went to this tea house. Eventually, the owner of the tea house, because you, know, you can see our numbers are growing, uh, kicked them out. They said, you, you know, you're not welcome here. This is Christian propaganda. You're doing missionary work. Uh, and so now they're actually meeting on the, on the, in the food court of a mall. Because at least, you know, in a place like that, nobody feels ownership for it. Now, they're not getting out guitars. They're not singing. They're not doing a whole lot of praying, but it's, it's what they have. Uh, and eventually, I started coming to the city. I started staying, with a, um, staying at a hotel. And uh, so once I, I got permission from the hotel owner, we started using the meeting room. And, and because, you know, it's just a small group of people, I've tried to be careful to maybe every two months, every three months, just bring as many people as I can up from Ankara or as many people as I can up from, uh, from Istanbul and get as many gu- guitars as we can and just celebrate our, 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 our faith, celebrate our Lord, and just encourage this small group of believers. And of course, uh, one of the people came to uh, faith and was baptized in the city. And so that group of believers now... Uh, is, is, is growing in number. And praise the Lord for that. Um, one more story I want to tell you about this. this is, um, these are two brothers. The man on the right is a lawyer in Istanbul. He came to faith in the Lord, and he started sharing the gospel with my friend, Hakan, who's on the left. Here's how God allowed me to, to meet Hakan. I went to a... Now, remember, I'm in the city of Ankara. It's about 5 million people, right? I go to this accountant's office, and, and Hakan was at the accountant's office at the same time, by God's grace. And uh, so once I left, Hakan said to the accountant, who's that guy? 
you know, because of my accent and maybe I just look a little bit lighter, he was curious about uh, me. And, 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 and so the accountant said, oh, he's a missionary. You don't want to know him. He's bad news. Stay away from him. You'll get in trouble. And Hawkeye said, no, 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 I want to, I want to meet him because his brother had been sharing the gospel with him. And in fact, his brother had given him a Bible. So he called me on the phone, and, and he said, I'd love to get together with you. And so we got together, and, and I began to hear this story about how his brother was in, had come to faith, and now he was reading the Word of God. And he said to me, Brian, I think this, the, the, the Bible is changing my life. He said, he said, you know, I have so many questions, I don't even know where to start. So, so, so what do I need to know about this book? Can you imagine somewhere to come to you, sitting in a donut shop? What do I need to know about this book? And uh, so Hakan eventually came to faith, and uh, in Ankara, the, the last Sunday I was there, this is kind of what it looked like for us to begin to do uh, discipleship in church and worship on, uh, on Sunday morning. So eventually, as you saw in the pictures, we, got, we were all these believers, brand new believers together to celebrate Christ's resurrection. And we had a sermon and we did some singing with guitars. And then we took turns. Everybody shared how they had come to faith and were following the Lord of Lords. And, and that took an hour and it was exciting. And then eventually we celebrated uh, baptism. And uh, very, very memorable. I want to wrap up with uh, the story of Gül. Um, this is Muammer, who you guys support. He has two younger children. They're twins. And so and one's a boy and one's a girl. And I want to tell you the story of Gül. If I think about my nine months and some of the highlights, certainly what I shared with you about my own ministry, those are some of the highlights. Here's another highlight. It was just simply a conversation that I had with Gül. And you need to know, as I share this story, that in Turkey, all young children go to a religion class. It's part of their day. They go to this religion class. And really, it amounts to nothing more than a, you know, a propaganda you know, time for, where they will sing the glories of Muhammad and sing the glories of Islam and how bad Christianity is. And so as people come to faith, oftentimes, if they're bold enough, courageous enough, they will, they will um, elect to have their children not attend that class, Right? Which, of course, the other children in the classroom, that absolutely gets their attention, right? Because, you know, there's these kids in every other class, they're there. And now all of a sudden, when it's religion class, their, their chairs are empty. And so some of the kids can, frankly, uh, you know, bring about antagonism and kind of a persecution kind of thing as a result of that. Well, also, it can also grab the attention of some of the other students. Like, why do they get to do that? And, hmm, this is interesting that they're, they're not Muslims. Why is that the case? So Gula was telling me about a friend of hers who said, well, maybe I don't want to be in religion class either. What would happen to me if I became a Christian? Can you imagine? She's 14 years old. Her friend asked her, what would happen to me if I became a Christian? And you know, Gül, because of her context, she knows nothing else. This, for her, this is very normal Christianity, life in Christ. She said, she said without, you know, in her innocence, without batting an eye, she said, well, if you were to become a Christian, you would get excluded you would get teased, but you get to sleep in first hour. <laughs> you know, right? And I was just ama- amazed that that is her context. That here's this girl who, you know, was seeking a bit, and she was saying, you know, you will get excluded if you were to come to Christ. You know, Paul, then it reminds me of what Paul said. We must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. He's talking to first-generation Christians, and he's warning them of difficult days ahead. And Gul has gotten used to that as well. You know, praise God, she's learning to say no to the race of Adam. She's abandoning her former household of sin because the king of kings has called her beautiful and he's going to marry her someday and she is bowing before him. And so I just want to wrap up, look, re-looking at uh, Psalm 45, verse 10. Just read these words again. Listen, O daughter, 
Listen, followers of Christ in Port Washington. Listen, O'Brien Phipps. Consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came and gave your life that sinners might be forgiven, given offer of uh, forgiveness, an offer of exchanging our rags for clothes of righteousness, an offer of being rescued from the land of slavery, becoming uh, one, uh, the bride of the King of Kings. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray that here in, in Port Washington, we would be bold to sing of the glories of our King. And we thank you that, Lord, that is happening all around the world, in the Middle East, in Turkey particularly. We praise you. We lift you up. We pray that until you come, you would make your church bold. You would make your church, uh, um, give her a clear eye to see the glory of her king and uh, that we would um, see many saved and many disciples as a result. In Christ's name, amen.